0: Good morning. Thank you for that. I was, I was told by Jasmine that uh, when they announced me, she was like, people might clap, it'll get awkward, you know, but that was actually a pretty full uh, applause, so thank you for that. Um, she may have been leading the charge back there because she was like, it's going to be awkward for him, so... <laughs> Uh, Thanks for uh, inviting me and uh, allowing us to, my wife and I, and to come and speak here at Lower Manhattan uh, Community Church. Uh, This area of the city has a special meaning to me, uh, for me, because I've been in New York 18 years now, and uh, I went to college here. I dormed in some of these neighborhoods for a number of years. Uh, I also worked in finance in the the neighborhood, and now to be like preaching uh, in Lower Manhattan is sort of a wild, sort of a full circle moment. A picture of what God can do uh, in anyone's life here in New York City. So, really, really thankful to be here. Well, let me read from us uh, from Matthew chapter seven. You know, Phil said this is the best swing. I, I don't know if this is the best swing, but this is certainly a really challenging passage for us to look at. And so, if anything, this is hopefully going to be a, a convicting time for certainly for me, but hopefully for for all of us. So, let me read for us from Matthew chapter seven, just five verses, the first five verses. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us as we begin. Father, we do thank you that, Lord, you speak to us through your life-giving word, a word that we need. in a a word that you give to us by your grace. And Lord, especially with challenging chapters like this, we ask that your spirit would open our eyes, would open our ears, soften our hearts to receive from you what it is that you have for us so that we might live the way that you've called us to live. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as Phyllis said, this is a passage from the Sermon on the Mount, which is essentially one of Jesus' key teachings on uh, basically how to live in in and with a completely new Christian perspective, right? Oftentimes, this is sort of in contrast to the way that we often live uh, to the world around us, a beautiful Christian counterculture for human life as well as for human community, because Jesus calls us, as he's always done, to live a life that is not conformed to the pattern of the world, right? But to be renewed by him and therefore to be holy and to be set apart under God's gracious rule. So the Sermon on the Mount kind of highlights for us what our lives and what our communities are meant to look like if it is living under God's gracious rule. And so in Matthew chapter 7, We come to this part where Jesus is starting to specifically address life and community and how we relate with one another. Because relationships, they are a critical aspect of what it means to have a full and flourishing life. Jesus knows that, and certainly we here in the church living in New York City know that, right? Right? Phil and uh, Jasmine and I were just talking before service, just talking about the sort of the beauty of having a, uh, a smaller community in a place like New York City that's so loud and so big, a place where you can actually be known and have deeper relationships. But then at the same time, therefore, we know that community can be really hard and annoying and difficult because community is the place where faults are exposed, right, where people's sins come to bear And oftentimes, as we're going to see here, we don't do them well, right? We magnify other people's faults while also trying to minimize our own. And so when Jesus is talking about how we relate to one another in in the Sermon on the Mount, he's essentially saying if we do not operate under God's gracious rule, in community we will inevitably begin to use people rather than to serve them the way that we're meant to. And it's here that, it, that Jesus says that if you want to have the kind of community that reflects me as the king of the kingdom, that reflects Jesus, he says, do not judge. He says to take the plank out of your own eye rather than focusing on the speck of sawdust and another person's eye. You see, if I was Jesus, I would be thinking, and maybe you too, you'd be thinking, yeah, we've got some problems here in this community. Jesus, they're the problem. What do we do to fix them? And in a really important way, Jesus is saying to us, no, 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 my friend, I got to focus on you (laughs) because only healthy people can help other people get healthy. A really counterintuitive way that the Sermon on the Mount speaks to us. And it's really important for us today to understand not only in a community context, but also just as our uh, Christian witness in the world. You know, some years ago, there was a Barna study that was done that uh, polled a bunch of young people and what they thought about Christians and Christianity, and the two words, the top two words that were most associated with Christians were, guess what, judgmental and hypocrite. And we kind of smirk and we smile, but also for me, as someone who is uh, really wanting the fame and glory of Christ to be proclaimed, it, it hurts my heart. To hear that and maybe it does for you that's the frustrating thing that Christians are known to the world to be judgmental and hypocritical rather than the light of the world if that's frustrating for you as it is for me how do you think Jesus feels about that and that's his name we're his people and yet the name the words that are most closely associated with Christians is judgmental and hypocrite and so this is really important for us to look at, the entire Sermon on the Mount for sure, but I think today, especially here, as we relate to one another, because Christians are supposed to be known for the opposite of this. Our communities are at stake, because of the way that we relate are either going to kill our communities, and it will lead others to think that we are just judgmental and hypocritical to everybody else, or it can build up beautiful communities that actually shine the kind of light that this world needs. But, this is not going to be as simple as, just don't judge, stop doing that, stop being annoying. Because the problem goes way deeper than that, and Jesus knows that. Jesus knows that he's gotta do some major surgery because this, the reason why we judge, is so deeply embedded in our view of ourselves, as well as in others, that that's the thing that Jesus wants to heal in us so that we actually can see ourselves more clearly so that we might also help those and serve those around us rather than use those around us and i'm going to contend this morning that only the gospel will allow us to do that so go with me as we look at this really short passage just five verses but we're going to look at it through three headings the first we'll just look at why is it that we judge and then we'll look at how that turns us into becoming hypocrites And then finally, we'll end with some hope and asking how can we change, right? So we'll look at why we judge, how it is that then we become hypocrites, and how we can change. So first, let's look at why we judge. Now, if you look at the first verse or the first words that Jesus speaks here, do not judge. He sort of sounds like uh, someone who would really fit in with a modern New Yorker, right? That might be one of the few words that a modern New Yorker might really agree with that Jesus says, don't judge, yeah. Come on, man, the life that we are called to live now, you know, the the, sort of the values that we live out today is to completely live in a judgment-free zone, you know? You don't have the right to say anything about what's good or right for me, just like I won't for you, right? You do you and I'll do me. Live your truth. Don't impose your things on me. Don't judge me. Right? So in our very individualistic culture, in our very postmodern culture that uh, really actually makes no truth claims, ultimate truth claims, therefore we don't have a basis for judgment, right? leads to a society that often says, yeah, don't judge, just let people live however they want. But it's really interesting because our culture simultaneously has also become way more critical, way more judgmental, and way more harsh toward one another, especially when we or anyone is out of accord with the broader values that the culture cherishes. Right? In fact, the people who get judged harshest, people like Christians here in our culture today, are the ones that actually are seen as people who judge. And so even our culture today, It's not just Christians who are known to be judged, it's even our culture. Everyone has this kind of judgment deep within us that we cannot get rid of, even though our culture has everything in place for it to try to get rid of it. And so um, even Jesus, even though he sounds like a modern philosopher of our day today, when Jesus says do not judge, he's not talking about, right, like what our culture thinks it's talking about. Like close your eyes and throw morality out the window. Live however you want, be free. Now, of course, Jesus is not saying that, but what Jesus is getting at is this deeper thing that we see all throughout, all in us as well as in the culture around us. This desire to, have a, to be a harsh critic towards somebody else, to have this condemning spirit, this self-righteous, judgmental spirit, finding faults in others is sitting at this high judgment seat and looking down on people. That, my friends, our culture does, our city does all the time, just like people in the church do all the time. That's the thing that Jesus wants to root out. That's what he's talking about when he says do not judge. He's not saying don't use your critical thinking abilities. Right? He's saying this is the heart that I want to root out, this, self, uh, this self-righteous heart And so the question is not whether it is that we judge, because obviously we all do, but we have to think more clearly about why it is that we all seem to judge. And if you look carefully at what Jesus says in these short verses, he's going to, I think, diagnose something so much deeper and therefore something that's so much more, um, something needs to be healed way deeper in us that we often don't see. Because he's not, when you look at what he's saying, he is not so concerned about the other people, right? Like if something happened, and there's somebody that you don't like, I would be running to Jesus and saying, Jesus, look at them. Look at what they've done. (laughs) Let me tell you all the reasons why, Jesus, these people are so annoying so that we can judge them, right? And so I would even expect Jesus to say, yeah, give me the facts. What happened here? But that's not what he does at all. If you look at our passage, His focus is completely centered on you as the person who judges. Let me read for this, let me read this for us again and see if you pick up on it. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. You see the point that he's trying to make. He's saying it's not about them, it's about you right now, because he is revealing a very important spiritual truth. That the reason you judge has more to do with you than them. I saw a nod. You judge, and I'll say we judge, in this harsh, critical, this self-righteous way, more because of your own sense of self than whatever it is that the other person has done. And friends, don't get me wrong in saying, uh, therefore, it doesn't matter what they did doesn't mean that they are off the hook we'll get to that later but Jesus is saying you have to first see that it's first about you verse 4 he says how can you say let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye See, he's bringing to attention literally imagine this two by four coming out of your eye and something that's so tiny in someone else's it's so ridiculous for you to say something about somebody else right And he's trying to reveal a clear, obvious spiritual truth that we always want to avoid. That there's also something wrong with you, with me, with us. And if we are not aware of that, if we are blind to that fact, to our own plank, then we are spiritually dangerous, not only to ourselves, but to the other people around us. We are spiritually dangerous to the community that we are in. And we will therefore destroy community rather than to help build it up. And that, Jesus says, is the key first starting point. Because here's what happens. Let me play, how this, uh, let me play this out for us about how this starts to ruin community. You see, deep down in all of us, whether we can admit it or not, we all have this deep sense within us that we're not all right, that we're not all good, that everything is not perfect within us. And as much as our culture tries to persuade us otherwise, it says, no, you're perfectly fine just the way that you are. No matter how many positive self-help and self-image books you read, it still cannot fully eradicate this deep-down angst that we have. There is something wrong with me. That's the thing that causes us to feel often guilt or shame, inadequacy, feelings of unworthiness. And here's the thing. When we experience a negative self-image, we have this very natural yet visceral reaction in trying to protect ourselves from feeling any kind of pain, from leaning into any sense that there is something wrong with us. And so we try to protect our sense of self. We often do that by either trying to inflate our sense of self by inflating our egos, or a lot of times we try to hide. We try to hide our shame and run away from those things. See, there is something wrong with us that we are trying to fix on our own. It's what some biblical counselors call that we all have a system of self-redemption. Here's a definition of it. The human tendency towards self-reliance and posturing away from God by our unconscious attempts to justify and define ourselves. That's essentially saying that we are always in our system of self-redemption. We're trying to find ways to fix our own planks, The thing that is wrong with us. So when we see or experience shame or guilt or something that is wrong with us, we come up with all of these strategies to feel better. To hide the pain. To cover up the pain. And it destroys community because, friends, that often happens at the expense of other people. We use people to feel better about ourselves. That is the very heart that Jesus is after. That is the judgmental, overly critical, harsh, condemning heart that we can often have that finds faults in other people while remaining self-righteous in yourself. Because as one writer says, when you can't deal with it in ourselves, we try to deal with it in other people. Mm, That's another head nod. Isn't that interesting? Have you thought about that? The reason that we, you and I, are so prone to judge others is less about them and more about you. That it is a way in order to boast or to protect our bruised egos, our sense of self, or our pride. You know, C.S. Lewis has this great quote about pride, right? He says, pride is the pleasure of having more than the next person. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. Now, he's essentially diagnosing for us that now we need other people for our own sense of worth. And that's why we compare. That's why we judge Because when we judge, it makes us feel better about ourselves. That is the root cause of why it is that we judge. Trying to ultimately deal with what's wrong with us by judging others. Because raise your hand if it feels way better to be the one who sits above and points the finger than the one sitting below being pointed at. And that's when self-righteousness abounds when we try to deal with what is wrong in ourselves on our own. So that is why we judge. But now that then, let's look at how that turns us into hypocrites, the way that the passage starts to uh, break down for us. You know, Jesus says that the hypocrite is someone who's got a plank in their eye but calls out the other speck, right, which is ultimately saying that this is their strategy, right, to mask their own flaws by pointing out and maximizing the flaws of other people while trying to minimize the things in yourself, which is why countless research has shown that we all, as human beings, we've got this uncanny ability to see ourselves in the most generous light. But if somebody else messes up, oh man, they always like that. Right? We just have this weird ability to make our, make our faults smaller while maximizing the flaws of others. And that's what leads us to uh, becoming a hypocrite in our lives. You know, have you ever noticed that the thing that bothers you most about someone, I think about the people you judge most at work and your family, people who you live around, I'm willing to bet, I'm willing to bet that the thing that you often find most annoying about them is something that you don't like about yourself something that you've detected in yourself and therefore you can detect in other people. You kind of have a radar for it. You know the many faces it takes on. That's why you can sense it and see it in other people. Oh, that person, he's just so manipulative. Oh, they're so selfish. Oh, they're so arrogant. They're such a know-it-all. I hate that about them. And my contention is, is those things are often very easy for us to spot in other people because it reminds us of somebody, someone that we know very well. John Stott on the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, what we are often doing is seeing our own faults in others and judging them vicariously. That way we experience the pleasure of self-righteousness without the pain of penitence. All right, so he's essentially saying there's a reason why we do that. You know, and there's a great story in the Old Testament about this very thing, about King David and the prophet Nathan from 2 Samuel chapter 12, where if you're familiar with this story, this is when, you know, King David goes from being like a little shepherd boy to like this great, amazing warrior king. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, it talks about a time when kings are supposed to go to war. David stays at home, and while he is at home, what does he do? He abuses his power. He gets himself into trouble. He gets Bathsheba pregnant and then tries to hide and cover it up by having her then rightful husband Uriah killed off in war. So complete misuse of his power. And so in 2 Samuel, the prophet Nathan comes to David, who is the king of the land, who also serves as a judge for cases like this. And the prophet Nathan comes and brings King David uh, a case for David to rule on. And he says, King David, there is this really poor man where all he has is this one baby lamb and this very rich man who's got so much. But when a stranger and a foreigner came into the land, what the rich man did was that he stole... The little poor lamb from the poor person rather than give of his own uh, abundance. And the prophet Nathan asks, what shall we do? What should be the punishment for such a man like this? And in the text, you see King David, he gets enraged with anger. He burns with anger and he says, this man deserves to die. And King David, he passes down a much harsher judgment than what the actual crime required. I mean, remember, it was just a lamb that was stolen. That was not worthy of meriting death. And to that, the prophet Nathan says, oh, he should die? Well, King David, you are the man. You are that man And all the commentators talk about why it was that King David responded that way, and it's because he was trying to rid himself of his own guilty conscience by passing judgment on someone else while subconsciously passing judgment on himself, right? Because that's a really enticing trade-off, like we said before. Don't deal with it in yourself, but judge others while you can remain self-righteous. That's why the thing that gets you most worked up about another person, the thing that you see and you judge in them, do you know why it bothers you so much? In some ways, oftentimes, it is triggering in you your own sense of unworthiness. Or something that is wrong with you. And you are seeing a part of you that deserves judgment. But Instead of dealing with it, ourselves, Or instead of dealing with it in ourselves, we deal with it with ourselves, just like King David does, by casting a much harsher judgment onto other people in order to try to appease our guilt-ridden conscience. Because it's much easier to do that than, friends, to be really faced with who you really might be, right? It becomes a lot easier for you to live with yourself when you don't admit those things in yourself, but you can admitted toward other people, in other people. And see, friends, that King David is a picture of a hypocrite who is living with a system of self-redemption. He doesn't go to God to deal with these things, the things that are wrong within him, the things that he has done wrong. He doesn't go to God, the one who can actually deal with his conscience. But in trying to deal with it himself, it always comes at the cost of other people. Don't you see that? That's true, how is it that we might change? Where might then we find some hope? Can we change at all? You know, maybe it's just doing what Jesus says. Hey, just don't judge. You know what, just everybody forget about it. Well, no, that's not what Jesus is saying because as we read on in verse five, he says this really important thing. He says, first, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You see, you can't help someone when you are blinded by your own spiritual flaws. We need to first deal with the planks on our own eye. And the word first is really important here because Jesus is maintaining that the overall goal is accountability, it is healthy relationships, it is high moral standards. Remember, this is the Sermon on the Mount where he's painting a picture of a community that's living on a hill. That's beautiful, living well and relating well to one another, loving and serving one another. Of course, he's telling us that we should be able to point things out in one another to help one another grow. But he says, first, you got to get the plank out. But in order to do so, we've got to get healthy instead of using other people to prop up our own false sense of health. And friends, the only way. If we're all blind, if we've all got planks in our eyes, no one can help one another. Friends, the only way to get the planks out, to break this cycle of self-redemption that is failing us over and over again, is to stop depending on our own self-redemption and looking to God's redemption in and through Jesus Christ and Christ alone that is the only way, my friends, that we can get the plank out. He is the only one who can do that kind of surgery in us to help us to see clearly. How does he do that? Well, you see, to see that, you've got to first understand why is it ultimately that Jesus says, do not judge? Again, he's not throwing moral high standards out the window. But really, really simply, Jesus is saying, do not judge because you, my friend, and I are ultimately not qualified to judge. We are not to take the place of a judge, no matter how great that might make us feel, but he is laying out the truth that we deserve to be among the judged. And in fact, he's saying that that's actually what is really wrong with us. Why it is that we feel guilt and shame, that we've tried ultimately because we've tried to take God's place as the judge, as the king, as the giver of life. And we've instead tried to live on our own, taking his place, living detached from him, living as if we are the king, as if we are the judge and the ruler of the land. That is what we've truly done wrong, and friends, that is a definition of what the Bible calls sin. Taking God's place, wanting to be the judge, and so long as we are doing that, so long as we are living outside of relationship, whole relationship with Him, we will always be separated from God. And that is the thing that will always make us feel like something is wrong with us. That is the very thing that leads to our quest for self-redemption that only can be a cover-up. It's a Band-Aid when we've got cancer. And our strategies to try to protect our sense of self will always over and over continue to fail to deliver. And that, my friends, is why it's so hard to change and why we never change. What we need is true change, not in self-redemption, but in God's redemption. Because, friends, you see, Jesus is our true brother, the true brother who actually is qualified to judge, the only one that can actually help us get the plank out to see ourselves and others more clearly. And the reason that we're blind to the self when we focus on others is because, ultimately, I don't know if you've sensed it, is that we are terrified to see what we are really like. We're afraid to lean into that and step into that we don't know if we'll be able to handle the truth about ourselves and live with ourselves and that would be right you see only Jesus can handle our true selves he, he, he's the only one who can handle what is really wrong with you and me deep down who can fully deal with my friends the separation that we constantly feel from God That causes our guilt, our shame, and our anxiety and our feelings of unworthiness. And he can only do it because his strategy is the only one that is not temporary, my friends, like ours. See, Jesus' strategy to deal with that is full and it's final. Because it doesn't come at the cost of other people. The way that he deals with it, it comes at the cost of himself. See, we shed. we shed the blood of other people over and over again every time that we pass unfair judgment in order to appease ourselves. We're using people, shedding their blood all the time. And it's like what the Old Testament says about the sacrificial system, right? Shedding the blood of bulls and goats in Hebrews 10 that were never meant to fully deal with our sense of guilt and shame and sin, but can only be a reminder of the grace that was coming and the sin that we have. But you see, friends, when Jesus, as the very Son of God, the one who is worthy, sheds his own blood for all that we've done wrong, when he dies the death that we should have died, and oh my gosh, we're over here just living like little kings, shedding other people's blood all the time. But the true king, he comes down. He gives his entire life. For you, while you were still enemies with God. And He dies the death that you should, I should have died. But not only that, He lived the life that you and I should have lived. And He offers that to us, fully restoring and healing our relationship with the very God who sent Him to redeem us. Friends, only when we get the exchange of what is happening in the gospel that we can have a true sense of ourselves, not needing to puff ourselves up, making us feel better because we know we don't deserve that, but at the same time knowing that we are loved with a love that we did not earn, an unconditional love, and therefore a love that, friends, we cannot lose. When we have that, our view of self, our sense of self is stable. We can be healed. We grow more in Jesus' likeness. We have a renewed view of ourselves through the gospel. And therefore, we can be honest with the planks in our eyes. We can be honest with the things that are wrong with us, not being afraid to bring those things up, but bringing those things to Jesus who can deal with it fully and finally. And that creates in us the kind of people who will be secure in our sense of ourselves and our image and, of course, of God's love. And you see, as the gospel and only the gospel gets deeper and deeper into our bones, we believe that, we trust that every day, then little by little, we will stop relying on our own systems of self-redemption that we live out every day that's hurting and killing communities and coming at the cost of others. And if that happens, friends, we actually can start loving and serving people rather than using them, helping to remove little specks out of their eyes in order for them to see Jesus more clearly. And if that happens here in this community, this will be a countercultural community for the good of the rest of this neighborhood that really does shine a beautiful and gracious light toward Jesus. Let me pray for us. father we thank you that lord you are the great physician and the healer and only in you can we find ourselves whole lord we're sorry for the ways in which we've tried to deal with our own mess at the cost of other people would you bring us before you and the cross the beauty of your sacrifice and your love for us and would that take root deeper and deeper in our hearts that we might become more and more like you by the power of your spirit so that we might love and serve others well the way that you intended. In Jesus' name, amen.